what I'd like to do today, you know, <clears throat> yeah, I, 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 this is a comment I, from, uh, that I wanted to make <clears throat> uh, concerning last week's year that the reason for the elections was to see if uh, people would return and reject the amoral position of the progressives. And they had their chance with the elections and so on. But at least, the, apparently, the, the House is now Republican, conservative. So hopefully that is a good sign, because hopefully they are now going to launch tremendous amount of investigations against many areas of the country that really have committed tremendous atrocities. You know, the January 6th committee, uh, you know, in terms of them, the DOJ, Department of Justice, and the FBI, that really have politicized those organizations. So hopefully that is a good sign that maybe, you know, the Bersham does allow some aspect of America to try to... Uh, redeem themselves. Yeah, that's, that's, that's important. That, that somehow uh, there is an aspect of the country that has power, which is good. Hopefully that will, you know, in some way restore, or perhaps even expose Biden and his family for all the criminal activities that they've done, you know, and so on, you know. Because what Biden has done by taking bribes and so on is not merely bribes. It's also, again, he's taking bribes from an enemy country, and that is called treason. So it's far more than just impeachment. It's really treason and so on. Well, let's see what happens. In any case, um, this year should be a merit for the health and success of the families of Regina Bas Yosef Ruvain and Yeshaya ben Yisrael, Binyamin Wolf ben Trihersh, and uh, Baruch ben Binyamin Wolf. Now, what I'd like to do... What was that? A refor- and also a refor- Shlema for Rina Bas... So. So? Okay, yes. Everyone, oh man. Okay. <clears throat> you know, this week, as Pasha's told us, and I have obviously ex- uh, spoken extensively uh, about uh, the story of Yaakov and Esau, especially in terms of the current events. So, uh, you know, so I, I, you know, since this week is Pasha's told us, which is the birth of Yaakov and Esau, uh, I think it would be interesting to examine a very interesting aspect of the Chumash. And what's interesting is that the narrative that is given over in the Chumash, especially in Bracious, is really multi-layered. That means you could read the Chumash on one level, the narrative, and of course it has the events that are occurring, what is also interesting about a parsha in the Torah is that there's a second layer, a hidden layer, of the real story. And what is interesting is that the words that describe the upper layer are the same words used to describe the hidden story. 
That's very unusual. So I thought it would be very interesting uh, as a um, demonstration of what 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 this means. In other words, what the hidden story really is. You see. <clears throat> uh, so I thought that would be very interesting. Now, what I want to do ne- first is because of what I'm going to say is going to be very surprising to most people because most people have never heard of who Esau really is. You know, obviously the Torah describes him as a tremendous Russia, which he is. But there's something very interesting going on. And uh, like I said, you know, it has special relevance today in terms of current events. So what I'm going to do is read the Ramchal himself, what he says. Because, you know, you need credibility for these ideas. So I'm going to read a sefer called uh, Kin As Hashem Tzavokas, okay, the jealousy of the Lord uh, of hosts. That's the name of the sefer. The one who wrote the sefer is Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lutzato. And it is in the uh, there's a green sefer called the Ginzi Ramchal, okay? And in the Ginzi Ramchal, there's this sefer called Kines Hashem Tzavokas, and it is on page 111, So I'm going to read it and explain. And from there, that basic idea that the Ramchal brings down uh, forms an incredible understanding not only of what uh, happened then, thousands of years ago, but also even today, you know, because it really forms the basis of what is going on. <clears throat> so the Ramchal starts a paragraph called Inyan Esav, the subject matter of Esav. <clears throat> so the Ramchal says, and I'm going to say it, what he says. And he says the following, Da, no that the root of Esau at first was in Kiddusha. That's what he says. That the real root of Esau, which is considered a tremendous Russia, really stems from tremendous holiness. And all that, all that automatically begins to say, well, you know, oh what's coming? But this South of Ramchal says it. So, Esau, therefore, his root was not an evil, but it was in tremendous holiness. And he even says where it was, Kabbalistically. So the Ramchal says, Givuras first of Zerampin. What that means is that, and it's important to understand, is that God created the world using certain forces, spiritual forces of which we have no idea what they are. And uh, there are ten of them. And there are what's called the three upper ones. It's called the Gimel Rishonis, the three upper ones. And these forces create realities. So the upper three creates a reality called Olim Haba, the future world. Those, those forces are so sublime that they actually create the future world. You see, <clears throat> the lower seven, because remember there are ten, 
they create Olam Hazeh, which is this world, and this world actually consists of several sections. We live in what's called the Olam Hashofel, the lower world, which is the physical universe, right? Which is uh, what scientists estimate is uh, 13.7 billion light years. A light year is 6 trillion miles. The distance that light can travel in a year is 6 trillion miles because it goes at 186,000 miles a second. So a light year is really a measure of not time, but distance, you see. Anyway, so this world, which the seven lower spheres created, and that's, uh, I will say what they are, that's Chesed, uh, Chesed, Gvura, Teferas, Netzach, Hoid, Yisoid, and then Malchus. And like I said, the upper three creates the Ilm Habo, and those world, those spheres are called um, Keser, Chochma, and Bina. Anyway, uh, so you have from the seven that creates Ilm Hazer, they manifest themselves in certain individuals in a very strong way. In other words, these forces in certain individuals dominate very strongly. So the sphere of Chesed, which is kindness, dominated in very strongly in Avramovino, very strong. And uh, that's why he was so much into Achnasus Orchem, you know, uh, inviting guests. He was an incredibly kind and gentle person. He just loved to do acts of kindness to people. That was his nature. Because he was very much uh, a, a concentrated form of the sphere of Chesed, you see. And then you had Yitzchok, which was a very concentrated form of Givura. And what Givura is, strength. But the strength is interesting. It's not strength in terms of, you know, subduing an outside force. It's really strength of subduing one's inner inclinations. Tremendous uh, ability to restrain or restrict behavior that they don't want to do, you know. So that's Gevura. And then you had the third of the seven. It's called Tferes. Or in Kabbalistic language, it's called Za, which means Zeranpen. Okay, uh, whatever. In, in the small face, whatever. And um, that's the uh, middle between Chesed and Gevura, Tferes. And Tferes is really a mix of Chesed and Gvura. Now, what's interesting, what represents Tferes? And the answer is very strange. Tferes is a middle because it's a mediator between Chesed and Gvura. So Tferes represents very strongly two people because every middle is, has a right side and a left side of the middle. So the right side of the middle, called Ferris, is represented by Yaakov Avinu. You see? So that spiritual force called Ferris, which is a mediator between Chesed and Gvura, that focuses on Yaakov Avinu, but the right side of Ferris, you see? And the left side focuses on Esau. So both of them 
had this middle sphere force, spiritual force, that manifested itself in these two people. But like I said, the right side of Tferes is Yaakov, and the left side is Esau. And that's what he means. But now Esau, as I just said, has the, the origin of Esau, and that's what he means, that he originates from tremendous holiness, because Esau, his neshama, was connected to and tied to Tferes. But the left side of Tferes, you see, which is the side of Gvura in Tferes, you see. So therefore, Esau had tremendous internal strength, which is interesting. So uh, therefore, Esau's origin, his shurish, as they say, his root, is connected to one of the three spheres, you see, but on the left side of the middle sphere. And therefore, his origin is a direct sphere. So he has incredible origins in holiness. And that's what the Ramchal is saying. You see, that's what it means that in the beginning, he was connected, right, to tremendous holiness. I'm just explaining uh, some of the Kabbalistic concepts. Okay. So the Ramchal continues, and he says, Perish, commentary, that Teferes, right, is the, is the mediator between Chesed and Gvura, which is what I just said. Uh, chesed is a sphere, what's called the right side, and Gvura is the left side, that's a sphere, so Chesed is kindness, right, and Gvura is restriction, strength, might, to control oneself. You see, so the Ramchal continues and it says, and from the right side, which I just said was Chesed, Yaakov Avinu emerges. In other words, his neshama is connected to the sphere, right, of Tferes on the right side, which predominates with Chesed, right? And the in the category on the uh, concept of uh, the left side, right, Esau emerges. So what is interesting is that, remember, Yaakov and Esau, therefore, both of them emerge from the same sphere, except one emerged from the right side, Yaakov, and one uh, of Tferes, and the other emerged from the left side of Tferes, right, and that's Esau. And then the Ramchal says, and that's why they were twins, because we know Yaakov and Esav had completely different types of personalities. So how in the world can be they, they be twins? And it seems as if, really, you know, were they fraternal twins or were they identical twins? Well, it seems that if they were fraternal, they were incredibly alike. And if they were identical, well, then of course they would be alike. <clears throat> and we see that probably they were identical. At a certain, in, in, in some way. Because we know that when they wanted to bury Yaakov after he died in Egypt, they went, you know, a whole entourage went with him to the Moris HaMachpelah, right? The, the cave of the Ovis, right? And all of a sudden, Esau appears. And he says, wait a minute. 
You know, I deserve to be be to be buried here, not Yaakov, my brother. You see, so they were. He was holding up the whole burial. So there was a person Hushim, who's the son of Don, right? The Don the Shevet, the tribe, and he didn't understand what's going on, and he could not, you know, he he could not hear or whatever, but he saw that Asa was holding up the whole burial. So he went behind Asaph and he cut off his head, he chopped his head right off. And the head of Asaph, so it's a Fims Chazal, bounced and went into the coffin of Yaakov, right? And it lies at the feet of Yaakov, also buried in the Morsa Machpelah, the cave of Machpelah. Now, why did he go behind Asaph to chop his head off? Because he couldn't look at Esav. Because Esav looked just like his brother, Yaakov. You see? So it was too much to bear that he was going to cut off his head. You know, because it looked like he was cutting off Yaakov's head. So he couldn't bear it. In any case, he cuts off his head, and that's where it lies. So it comes out, interestingly. So therefore, it seems, therefore, that Esav and Yaakov really, in many ways, were identical. In any case... What is interesting is that the head of Esau lies at the foot or the feet of Yaakov and that is buried in the Morach Samach Pela. Could you imagine Esau is buried with the Ovis and the Mors, the matriarchs and the patriarchs are buried? It's astounding. You see? And that itself is proof that some aspect of Esau, his head, not his body, was really Kodosh. Because it was connected to a, it was a direct connection to one of the spheres, you see. But in any case, so uh, this is what Ramchal says. And also it says a posik in Malachi, Haloi och Esav liyakov. Behold, Esav is a brother to Yaakov. And this is before he became a Russia. So therefore this is the concept that Esav and Yaakov are really brothers Right, and they're both kedushim. In the in the beginning, they were holy people, both of them. Now that's an incredible concept, you see. And then it says the Ramchal continues because in truth, they were at one level in the beginning. You see, in other words, Esav was at the exact same level as Yaakov Avinu. Now we know, right? That Yaakov, that Avram was an Ov, he was a patriarch, which is the root soul of the Jewish people, right? We know Yitzchak was a patriarch, which is the root soul, right, of the Jewish people, right? And the third Ov, or patriarch, is Yaakov Avinu, right? But what Ramchal is saying here is something really astonishing. He's saying that in the beginning, before Esau turned into a Russia, Right, they were at the exact same level in holiness. That means Esav was an of. <clears throat> you see, now what I'm telling you, most people never heard of, but it comes out that Esav was the fourth of, the fourth patriarch. So there were not three patriarchs; there were really four. Right, Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, and Esav, and they were equal. <clears throat> Very important concept. And this was not the case by Yitzchok and Yishmael. 
Remember, Avram Avinu had Yitzchak, and with Hagar he had Yishmael. They were not equal in Kedusha. You see, but Yaakov and Esav were, which is astounding. And then the Ramchal says with Tovin, and you should understand, that even Esav could have been a Kadosh. That even Esav, had he done his job, remained a Tzaddik. He would have remained an Av. Could you imagine Esav as a patriarch among the Jewish people, right? And then he says to Ramchal, and they would have been both children, Bonum, Toivim, tremendous children to God. That's what the Ramchal says. Uh, now you have to understand, the Ramchal says, like I said, that Esav wasn't of, equal to Yaakov Avinu, you see. And also there's a Medrash that says, right, that had Esav remained a tzaddik, then Yaakov would have had six tribes, not twelve. And Esav would have had six tribes. And that makes sense. Because Esav is an Av, a patriarch. So therefore he would have had six tribes. It's astounding. And I'll tell you something even more interesting. There's a, a Rishon, means an early author, he lived about 800 years ago, called the Pa'aneach Rozo. Uh, he was called the Rishon. <clears throat> and he says something remarkable. He says that the gematria, the numerical value of Esav, right, is twice Yaakov. If you go add oh, up the numerical value of Yaakov with a vav, then it's one half of Esav. Why? So he says that had Esav remained an of, tzaddik, he would have been twice as great as Yaakov Avinu. Could you imagine that? That Esav could have been twice as great in holiness as Yaakov Avinu. Because he had an incredibly difficult task, which I will talk about. So this automatically changes, right? Everything that you know about Esav. You see? It's astounding. In any case, that's what... Um, it said, and so we now have a completely different understanding of who Esau was originally, that he was the equal, if not greater than Yaakov Avinu, right? And uh, had he done his job, he would have had six tribes. Amazing, isn't it? You see, <clears throat> so we would have four of us, four patriarchs, you see? And now the Ramchal goes on to explain, well, what was their jobs, you know? So we know the job of Avram Avinu. Avram Avinu manifested or represented, symbolized, chesed, tremendous kindness, right? And what his job was basically to bring the belief in God to the people of the world. He would go out and travel, which is what God said to him, you know, lech lecho, go out from your, your, your country and your land and so on. So the job of Yaakov, uh, excuse me, of Avram Avinu, was to go and to bring people to believe in God, and he did that, as we see from the Chumash, where it says, and all the souls that Avram Avinu made, and Sarah, and so on. That was his job. The job of Yitzchak was different. 
his job was to incredibly um, shape his character to be unbelievable God-fearing. He worked on himself. Was Avraham Avinu was there to convince others, right, to become to, to come to believe in God? Yitzchok basically worked on himself. You see, because he had gevura, he had a tremendous ability to do this, tremendous ability to say no to his drives, you know, or his temptations. <clears throat> so his job was to perfect his personality to an extraordinary extent. You see? So that's what Yitzchak did. But Yaakov and Esav, they did not have that job. So the job of Yaakov and Esav was Tferis. See? And that job is a very interesting job. One job was Yaakov, and the Torah actually hints at what his job is. Yoshiva Yeholam. His job was to sit in tents. Now what does that mean, sitting tents? It doesn't mean that he's a homebody. It means that he sat in his tent and learnt Torah. His job was to bring down tremendous amount of Kiddusha, holiness, by immersing in the Torah itself. In fact, we find that when he fled after he took the brochas, the blessings, which I'll talk about, from Esav, he went to the yeshiva of Shem Ve'eva, right? We'll understand why later, you see. So his job was to expand enormously the holiness and to bring down what's called the Shefa, tremendous amount of divine energy or divine force to this world, you see, by immersing himself in the Torah itself. <clears throat> that was Yaakov Avinu's job. So that's called Hispashtus Kidusha, the whole Madrigo Seho, the expansion of holiness in all its levels because you have to remember we only have a certain amount of kedusha holiness that can come down from the spheres and the job of a jew is to bring down the rest and that will automatically perfect the world you see so the world was really created right through the ten spheres but they, these spheres only gave out a limited amount of their divine energy. And that left the world physical, you see. But if you can influence the spheres, right, to, to come out with all their energy, then this world will change into Olam Habo. Yes, because the spheres are the triggers <coughs> that will enormously transform this world into Olam Habo. And that is the job of the Jew. So that job is what Yaakov Avinu did, to bring Kedusha down to this world, you see? And that would be an incredible tikkun. So that's what his Pasha's Kedusha is, to bring down holiness. That was the job of Yaakov Avinu, you see? <clears throat> now, <clears throat> that was Yaakov. What was the job of Esau? Esau's job, right, was not in terms of bringing down Kedusha, but in terms of destroying the Satan. Because remember, there are two fundamental forces in the world. One is Kedusha from the spheres, and the other is a tremendous amount of what I always label the Zoyamo of the Satan. Uh, so how do you destroy the Satan? You see, 
So the job of Esau, which is very important, was to destroy the Sutton. <clears throat> you see, why? Because I had mentioned in last week's year, actually, that the Sutton is a usurper, a thief. He steals the Kedusha from the spheres when the Jews sin. So therefore, the job of Esau as a patriarch, which meant he had enormous spiritual strength, was to take back all the Kedusha of the spheres, which is called the sparks of holiness, to take it back away from the Sutton and therefore obliterate the Sutton. So it's a different job. It's sort of like the job of Esau was to clean the house of all the filth and the dirt. <clears throat> and the job of Yaakov is to decorate the house and bring in all the beautiful and fancy furniture in that sense. <clears throat> you see, <clears throat> so that was the job of Esau, <clears throat> to contend with the Sutton, ultimately, and to subdue the Sutton on the Kedusha. How? By taking out all the incredible amount of divine energy, right, from the Sutton that he would have taken because of the sins of the Jews. You see, <clears throat> so we have now two of us, Yaakov and Esav, and each one has a job in terms of the Tikkun. The job of Yaakov in Tikkun is to bring down holiness in enormous amounts, you see, and he did that by immersing in Torah, and that's what Yeshiv Holam means. And he dwelt in, uh, he would dwell in a tent. And the job of Esau, right, was to subdue evil, you see, in all its levels, you see. In other words, by taking away all the uh, theft of the divine energy and bringing it back to the side of holiness. And that was the job of Esau. You see? <clears throat> but how, how would that happen? Well, that happens by not sinning. But more than that, if you enter the environment of evil and you withstand the temptation to, to do evil, then automatically you will weaken the Sultan. Because, number one, your Kedusha will go to you. But by, but by remaining steadfast in your mitzvahs and so on, in the face of tremendous temptation, you take back the Kedusha that the Sutton has. So we're looking here at two fundamental jobs. You see, <clears throat> so that was the job of Esau, to take back by remaining incredibly righteous. And that's why he was called Ish Sodeh, a man of the field. It what does mean that that was, that was his occupation? No. He was a man in the field, means he would go into the world and be tempted, right, by all the temptations that the world has, and he would remain righteous. And in that way, he would make the uh, Sutton give up all the sparks of holiness, you see. So that was the job of Esau. Both of them labored in terms of the Tikkun, you see. So this is the very fundamental basics of who these two people were, which I can tell you hardly most people never heard of. But I am reading the Ramchal. <clears throat> now, the Ramchal continues and says, how was Esau able to do it? You see? 
Because what the Bansham did, and this answers questions which I will ask, what the Bansham did by Yaakov and Esav, or I should say by Esav, is that the Neshama of Esav, who is an of, is connected to the evil of the Sultan. It means the Esav as an of, a patriarch, is actually connected to the root of evil, which is the, if you want to call it, it's not really a Neshama, the soul of the Sultan himself. And that is why when Esav does something, it directly affects the, 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 uh, the soul, so to speak, of the Sultan. So therefore, it comes out that Esav was directly connected to the Sultan. In order for Esav, his acts, to subdue the Sultan and ultimately to destroy him, you see. And that is why he would act, actually have to be born connected to evil, so he could subdue evil by resisting the temptations, and that would destroy the Sultan, you see. So his soul would actually have to come out of an evil place, the satanic domain, in order for Esau's actions to successfully destroy the Sultan and to bring all the sparks of holiness of the Sultan back into the Kedusha, you see. And that's a very important um, uh, idea. So therefore, that was the job of Esau. The Ramchal is saying this. I mean, I'm reading from the Ramchal, you see. So we now have the understanding or the basis of who Yaakov and Esav really are. Very important. <clears throat> now we can understand many questions, because the Pasha of Tildes is very difficult in many ways to understand. I'll give you one example. You know, we know that you know, uh, Rivka was pregnant uh, with Yaakov and Esav. We know that, right? Uh, you know, she was barren, and then they prayed, Yitzchak prayed, Right? And she became pregnant, and all of a sudden she's experiencing tremendous pains. Like it says in the Torah, And the two kids, Yaakov and Esav, they are actually struggling with each other inside her uterus, right? So she doesn't know what's going on, and obviously it must have been very painful, right? And what she experienced is something interesting that whenever she went by a place that was holy, for instance, right, then the one who would try to break out was Yaakov. Because he was, as an embryo, which is incredible, he was attracted to the holiness of a place. And whenever she went past an Avedizara, some place of idol worship, the one who would try to break out is what? Is Esau. So the question then becomes something which, you know, if you ask somebody this question, it's very hard to answer. Could you imagine an infant, not an infant or a toddler, but an embryo, right, in a uterus, already has this Yetzirah, where whenever you go past a place of Avodah idol worship, it tries to break out? We've never seen that before. How can an infant that isn't even born have this. It's incredible. So that's the first question you have to ask. You know, this has never happened before. It's not even normal. The second question is if that he had this 
incredible Yetzirah before he was even born. So what do you want from the guy? The man obviously has no free will. How can he conquer this type of inclination, right, if he wants to break out before he's even born? He has no free will. He's finished. So why is he called a Russia? Because he has no free will. It wasn't his fault. He didn't ask for this. So how in the world can you attribute evil to this embryo? Those are the two questions. You know, be interesting to see, you know, if you ever ask it, what they would answer. But let me tell you something which I think is the answer. I mean, the questions are solid. Like I said, we've never seen anything like this, number one. And he had no free will. So why is he called a Russia? The whole thing, you know, contradicts the story of where he became evil. And then, of course, he's evil and he became terrible. And the Torah calls him a Russia in the, in the Nevi'im and so on. But you know what the answer is? The real thing is the Ramchal supplied the answer. Because you remember what he said? In order for Esau to destroy the Sultan, his soul had to be connected to the root of evil, which is the Sultan himself. So automatically, it's not that he wanted to do evil. His temperament had a tremendous Yetzirah because he's connected to the Yetzirah in order for him to destroy uh, the Yetzirah. So that's why, from his birth, as an embryo, he's connected to the Sutton to destroy the Sutton. So automatically, right, it means that he's always trying to do evil, worship idols. Now, of course, he's not held guilty, because he's an embryo. He's not even bar mitzvah yet, right? <clears throat> so obviously, it's not that he committed a sin. The real question is, how in the world does an embryo have this kind of inclination? And the answer is, because since his job as a patriarch was to destroy the Sutton, right? Ramchal mentioned that his soul was connected to the root of evil in order for together, if he would do an act which is a mitzvah, it would destroy the Sutton by taking away the Kedusha that the Sutton took because of the sins of Jews or whatever. You see? So the answer is beautiful. That's why. But he wasn't held guilty because he wanted to go to the Avodah Zarah. The real question is, where in the world is this inclination coming from? And that is the answer. Now you'll say, wait a minute. Okay, I can understand that if he's connected to the root of evil, fine. So I understand this is why he's running to places of idol worship, because that's his temperament, right? But the, and the question is, wait a minute, but what about when he's born, right? If he's born with this incredible Yetzirah, you see, where he's connected to the root of evil, even if it's to vanquish the evil and so on, then he has no chance of Kedusha. I mean, could you imagine somebody has a Yetzirah, tremendous Yetzirah, he's finished. It's like being addicted to heroin or fentanyl, whatever, right? How do you break away from that? 
because that is his tendency, his proclivity, his inclination. And I will tell you something fascinating. <clears throat> because Asaph was on the side of Gevura, which is the left side of Tferis, he therefore resembled Yitzchak, because the left side gives you the incredible ability to control, right, your drives. Tremendous, which is what Yitzchak had. And Esav had the same thing, because he was connected to Tferis on the left side. Therefore, Esav can easily have controlled the Yitzhahara because of that. And therefore, he could have controlled it, so he had free will. The fact that he didn't control it is because he freely chose to do evil. Uh, but not because he couldn't do it. It's a very important concept, you see, that Asaph had the ability to control the Sultan because he had tremendous givura, might, self-restriction. So therefore Asaph did have free will. Now I can show you something fascinating as proof. If you ask yourself, a person, Asaph's, one of the Asaph's characteristics is that he was an incredibly arrogant person. Incredibly arrogant. I mean, he must have walked around with a, a feeling, you know, that he was greater than everybody. And we know that. We see that from the Chumash, that he was incredibly, he was an incredible Bhagaiva. So if you ask yourself, what is the most difficult thing for a Bhagaiva, somebody who has an enormous amount of ego, to do? And the answer is to submit or to, to submit authority. Think about that. Somebody who has tremendous amount of arrogance has a very difficult time submitting to authority because who are they to tell me what to do? I am greater than them. Therefore, it should have been that Asa would have incredible difficulty, right, submitting to any authority, which would include father, right? Keep it over aim. You know, today we see teenagers, you know, telling their parents to jump in the lake. We know that one of the problems of today's time is that there's no respect for parents or grandparents or authority. Because teenagers think that they are God's gift to the world. Not all of them, obviously. But this is part of the problem without going into psychologically of what happens. So therefore, that should have been true of Asaph. But it wasn't, because there was an individual, one of the greatest of the rabbis, Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel, who says that I, and this is what he says, I was the greatest man in my generation who observed honoring father and mother. That's what he says about himself. Can you imagine what that means, right? <clears throat> Yet he says, Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel says, but I found that Esau was much greater than me in honoring his father and mother, especially his father. Esau had unbelievable respect for his father. In fact, he was the greatest man in the world. This is what Rabbi Shimon Gamaliel says. In fact, he was probably one of the greatest men who ever lived in the extent of the honor that he gave his father, Yitzchak. It was boundless, you see. That's what Rabbi Shimon ben Gamaliel says. Imagine that. Uh, so we have to ask a question and say, wait a minute. 
If Esav was this incredible, arrogant person, then how in the world did he subdue himself to honor his father, who was obviously not the, or, or, or the authority figure in the household, directing him what to do? And the answer to that is, because when Esav wanted to control his tendency to be a tremendous, arrogant person, he could control it. And he wanted to control it with his father. In other words, he had the might, the tremendous ability to restrain his arrogance when it came to his father. But where did he get that from? Because that's who Esav was, you see. Esav had tremendous personal abilities to control himself. So therefore, we see clearly, therefore, that he had the ability to control himself if he had wanted to. So it's true that he had this tremendous inclination to sin and whatever, but that was his job. So they connected his neshama to the root of evil to destroy it. However, they also gave him, because he was a direct expression of the sphere of Tiferes, they gave him tremendous abilities to restrain any kind of tendency to do evil. So even though he was an unbelievable, tremendous amount of arrogance, ego, egomaniac, whatever you want to call it, right? If he wanted, he could control it and therefore exhibit the greatest uh, exhibition of loving father and mother, keep it of, that the world has ever seen. There you are. So therefore he obviously had free will. Uh, you see, obviously God is not going to give him this type of job without some type of protection because then he has no free will like I said so it answers the question that if you connect him to the root of evil then he doesn't stand a chance right to be holy and the answer is not only does he stand a chance but he was the greatest person according to Rabbi Shimon who ever did keep it off could you imagine what that is and the Gemara gives a demonstration of that what, how did he exhibit this? Because he, if he ever want to speak to his father, he would just go in and speak to his father. He would go to his room, wherever, and he would change into his big day Shabbos. The clothing that you wear, in one or two, you go to a tremendous occasion, right? Shabbos or a holiday or a wedding or whatever. He would change into that clothing and then he would go see his father. Because to him, seeing his father was one of the greatest occasions he could ever do. Uh, so he actually prepared for it by changing his garments. You believe this? Who does that? You see? That's how much he honored his father. How much he loved his father. You see? So that is the way that he would do this. It's an amazing thing when you think about that. But in the end, which I've mentioned, they told her the prophecy, right, that the, uh, the, uh, the house of Shem Ve'eva told Rivka the prophecy, that there are two great nations, right? They will both be very great leaders and nations, right? And, but both of them will be very different, right? They will separate from you, and they will be very different. And as I mentioned last week, 
one will always be superior and the other one will be automatically inferior. They're never equal. But then the Nevoa ends and the older will serve the younger. And I mentioned that's a very important idea that ultimately the older son, who is Esav, will wind up serving the younger, you see. And we know how they did that, uh, which I will dwell on you know, a little later, and so on. That the older served the younger, either by providing persecutions of the younger, so therefore that would bring an atonement to Yaakov and his descendants. So that's a, he's serving the young in that way. Or the older will do tshuva, he will actually repent, and he will assist, you see, the, the younger to do the tikkun. And that, that posik is a story, which I mentioned a long time ago, of, I believe, Donald Trump, who is ace of doing tshuva, <clears throat> because we can see from his behavior, that's really what he did. You know, by recognizing Israel, moving the embassy, right, to Jerusalem, and also the, the Golan, and also the Abraham Accords. I mean, what he did was just absolutely amazing. Because Trump is in many ways <clears throat> a symbol <clears throat> of Esau. In fact, he's even as Esau, we know, came out all red, and Trump is all red, and so on, which I spoke about a long time ago. But in any case, uh, and he has done tremendous amount of good for the Jewish people. And that will happen at the end of days. This is the problem, you see. And that also is a chazal, that at the end of days, Esau will do tshuva, you see, and actually help Yaakov Avino, which is an interesting concept, especially in light of the, the current events. Okay, I think we're getting a handle on Yaakov and Yesav, who these people really were. Now, as we will see, right, what happens? So the posse continues, right? So he comes out all red. Why? Because redness, in many ways, is a symbol of evil. I'm not saying if somebody's a redhead that they're evil, no. But the fact that Esav, you know, had a, red, a reddish uh, complexion and so on, is because his idea was to fight war, and red is a symbol of war, to fight with the Sutton, that was his uh, purpose, to subdue the Sutton, and therefore it would reflect itself actually in his skin color. You see, <clears throat> so what is happening, right, is that they're both born, right, and they name him Esau, which is really very interesting, you see. And then it says, and the youths grew up. So what Rashi says, which is interesting, is that Yaakov and Esau were equal. Before he was 13 years old, Yaakov and Esau were equal. Now, could you imagine Yaakov at 13 years old? He's probably an Eloi. He's a genius, right? And he's a tzaddik. I mean, you know, we think of Yaakov Avina when he's older. But when you really think about that, I mean, the guy, the kid must have been an incredible kid, right? This is Yaakov Avinu, even at 13. So the Torah tells us, that the youths grew up. And when the Torah uses that expression, means it uses one expression for both kids, it means they were equal. And Rashi says, you could not tell one kid from the other. 
It's astounding. It means they look the same, or they were at the same level of Kiddusha when they were little, right? And that's, even though Esau had this unbelievable tendency, right, to do evil, could you imagine how much he controlled himself? You see? Therefore, they were both tremendously holy as kids, you see. But however, Esau obviously began to change. He had free will, and he actually began to change, which is really very fascinating, and so on. And then it says that Yitzchak loved Esau. Why? Why did Yitzchak love Esau, you know, uh, more than Yaakov? I don't know. It's hard to know if he loved him more than Yaakov, but he certainly had a soft spot, very big soft spot, for Esau. And the answer is because the job of Yitzchak also was on the side of Gvura. He also had tremendous abilities to restrain and restrict his behavior. You see? Because that was his job in the Tikkun process, to perfect his personality. You see? So the fact that Esav also had this tendency, tremendous ability to restrain, right, of any of the difficulties with the Sutton, that means the Zoya says that a person, in a certain sense, birds of a feather flock together. Yitzhak loved Esav because Esav basically was in the same area of Tikkun that Yitzhak was. So Yitzhak realized that Esav, in a certain way, right, is a continuation of the Avoida, the work, the service of Yitzhak. So that's why he loved Esav more. Oh, you see, because Esav was a reflection and a continuation of the job of Yitzchak. You see, and that's why he loved him and so on. So when it says Kitzayid B'Piv, because game was in his mouth, what it's alluding to is because Esav was doing the job. He was killing the Sutton until 13 years old, you see. And obviously Rivka, it says that she loved uh, Yaakov, you see. And then we come to the story, you know, of the sale of the birthright, which I will continue next week. But you begin to see that there's a whole different narrative to what is going on. Most people look at the narrative of the Torah from what's called the upper story. But there's an entire hidden story you see, that is going on. And the psukim, the verses, actually reflect both stories. The revealed one, the overt one, and the covert story. And I'm just trying to show you what the covert story is actually using the same psukim verses as the upper one. You see. So I will continue next week, and then you'll understand that Chumash really can be learned at a whole different level you see, uh, what the real story is. And the real story is obviously, in many ways, very different than the overt story. The covert story, in many ways, is very different. It's, uh, and it's all based, in many ways, on the Tikkun process, who these people really were, what their jobs were, and what the success was. Were they successful, were they not? And we will see, of course, that Esau, as an of, was not successful. So that left a tremendous problem. Who is going to take over the job of Esau?
Okay. Any questions? Yes. So why the head of ASAV, uh, why that part of the body? According to your, you know, what you just spoke about with the tefillin yeah. and all that stuff, and the yetzir hara, how we had to overcome it, why the head? Because the head is intellectual. The body is the seat of the emotions, especially the heart. And the taiva, the body is the seat of the taivas, you know, the drives that get us to sin. The head, however, is the seat of logic, of the rationality, you see, or of course what's called the etzatoiv. So that was still pure, you know, it's that faculty that he had, you know, the ability to reason remained. It's just that he, he was, uh, he was uh, sort of like a slave to his body, where the drives that emanate from his goof, they took prominence. They took, you know, uh, uh, like I say, you know, they, they took over. So that remained impure, you see. But since he was originally attached to the Sutton, he was really an of. That was his origin, you see, even though he sinned. So that's the difference between the head and the body. He and Yaakov, did they know that they were Avot? Did they know they were? Probably not. I mean, they knew that, you know, Yitzhak is their father, uh, you know, and so on. You know, it, it's, it's hard to know what they knew. You know, I'm sure Yitzhak, in a certain sense, explained. He certainly explained what their jobs were. You know, uh, to Yaakov, you have to sit and learn. Not that Esav didn't learn, but he was predominantly a person that liked to go outdoors. Today they would call Esav an outdoors man. You know, and Yaakov is a uh, a homebody person, right? You know, so they certainly knew what their job was. But did they know their root soul? Did they know what their job was in terms of the spheres and the tikkun process? Hard to say. I mean, I'm sure at a certain point they did know. You see, actually, it is true that at a certain point they did know, which I will explain next week. You see. Do we know what was the first um, thing that turned Lisa start following his Yetzirah? Uh We don't. I mean, I... I mean, I, I'm not aware, you know, what was the turning point. But we do know that 13 years old was the turning point. We do know that. You see, that was the turning point. But um, what we find, Chazal say, is that when he did become evil, he was 13, but he concealed it, right, from Yitzchok and from Avram Avino. And at 15... He didn't conceal it anymore. He just became openly evil. So we know that in two years, those two years, he concealed it, right? But uh, at 13, he became a Russia. That we do know. Yotzele Tarbet's Road says that he went out to do evil. So that we do know. Don't they say that when a boy is bar mitzvah at 13, the Yetzir Hatov comes into them? Right. So wouldn't that, it doesn't make sense then, if he finally got the Yetzir HaTov and now he's, he's turning? Well, I mean, look, he had free will. 
This is what we find, which is interesting, you know, that he had free will, you see. So, you know, whatever reason he did that, um, you know, that's what he did. And so on, you know. Why he did that, like I said, we don't know. But, like I say, you know, he did become evil at that point, you know? So, does the Imahat have anything to do with the Sephirah also? The what? The, yes. The, the women, the Imahat. They do, yeah. Because they are really, in many ways, are composites with the others. That means the Sora would have been also, she would have been part of the spheres of Avram. And Rivka would have been with Yitzchok and so on. So that is true. You know, except they are represented, you know, by different aspects of the sphere. You know, but they, they would have been part of the original spheres. You know what I'm saying? So were they necessary in order for them, like, meaning, are they as much as a, a factor as a vault? Yes. Yes. Yeah. In fact, as I will explain, is that what's very important is that, uh, as I will show next week, Esav became a Russia, so somebody had to take over his job, you see. But who was his consort? Who would have been his wife? Right? And the answer is, well, Leah, right. That's why Leah was crying and so on. Uh, so because, as we will see next week, Yaakov took over the job of Esau. So that is why he had to marry his wife, Leah. That's why Yaakov had two wives, and everybody else has one. You see? That's a very important idea. Since Yaakov had to take over the job of Esau, you know, I left that as an open question, so I'm going to go into it next week. <clears throat> you see? So Leah therefore married Yaakov. Because Leah, who is a consort, consort of Esau, you know, you know, she is the woman that would, would be the match to Esau. So since Yaakov took over the job, he would therefore marry Leah. You see? Okay. So a person so has to marry. Yaakov, why was Yaakov in such hesitation or didn't want to marry Leah? Didn't he know at that point? <coughs> had to take over Aesop's position and to do that? Well, either he didn't know it, or maybe it's very difficult to take over two jobs. Remember, Yaakov did not give up his old job. He had to accept a new job besides his old job. That's a very difficult thing to do, to have his old job, which is to bring Kedusha down, right, and then to have a new job, which is to go into the world, interact with evil, right, and subdue it. So maybe that indicates that there was a hesitancy on the part of Yaakov Avinu. So it's one of two, those two ideas. You see? <clears throat> In fact, ultimately speaking, as we will see, you cannot take over two jobs for a real length of time. So ultimately, Yaakov had to give up the job of Esau, which he replaced, and it had to be given to somebody else. Who did he give you it to see? Joseph? Right. 
Yosef took over the half of the job of Esav. That's who Yosef really was. Yosef was really a half a patriarch, not a full. That's why Yosef was greater than all the other Shvatim. Because in order for him to do that, he had to have the neshama of a chatzi of, half and of. You see. And that's why since he took over that, he had to go to Egypt, which is a place of enormous evil. All of this is explained because you now understand that what determines a person's mission, right, is the root neshama, where he comes from, the origin. Uh, you see. And I'll explain all of this, but you see, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to look at the Torah at the level of the covert, you know, level of the story. Because that's the real story. And that explains all the questions. But from the standpoint of a real framework, not just a patch job, but a real framework, that's what the real story explains. So I have you a see. question. Your, yeah. Your connection to a sefira, does it go according to when you're born? Yeah, it does. That's the root of your neshama. <clears throat> you could be given additions to your neshama. Those are called ibor. So that is possible. <clears throat> but there's always the basic root of where you come from in the spheres. You see. And how do you figure how do you figure that out? Or you just don't? You don't. You don't. You'd have to go to a person would have to go to some real great Makubo who can do this. Figure out your root neshama. You know. But even if you don't know, you can tell what uh, many ways, you know, and I'm going to explain that. Therefore, you know, are you, are you, do you have to do the job of Esav, or can you just do the job of Yaakov? And everybody's divided. Some people are on the, uh, you know, the uh, journey of Esav, where they have to work in a world that's filled with temptations. So they clearly are on that section. Then there are people who become Rosh Hashivas, you see? So they don't have to contend with the type of evil in terms of the environment. They just have to give a share. So they're clearly connected to a different route. So everybody's divided along that, uh, you know, uh, continuum. Where are you connected to? So basically, also, you could tell by the way, where you're born, like in what kind of society that you're born in, community that you're born in, so that you would... Yeah, and you also can tell by your personality. Home, like Sometimes you see... If you're born in a non-religious home, then you're probably in the contender of Esav's, you know... Uh, that could be. Yeah, that could be. You know? Or, no, it, it also could be that you're not. You're really in the, in the uh, parsha of Yaakov, except you have to struggle to do it. Some people, it can be given to them with ease. Some people have to really struggle with that. It all depends on previous incarnations. Look, it's complicated. We're to find out where your root neshama really is. You know? So then how does Yosef become 
from Mashiach ben Yosef. If if Mashiach ben Yosef is really from the Yisod, right? No. Well, Mashiach ben Yosef is really uh, from the section of Esav. That's yeah. really where it's from. So that's the Buddha of Tiferet. But don't we say Bec- that because yeah, because you have to remember Tiferet is the middle, but that means the ones below it, Netzach Hoid Yisoid, right? They're connected to Tiferet because Tiferet is higher than them. So ultimately, they all have roots in Tferes. You see? So the Mashiach ben Yosef does have a root in Tferes. Except his full expression is in Yesoid. You see? So it's more than just one sphera. You know, you're also connected to the roots, the upper spheres, which are much more, you know, uh, general and basic and mm-hmm. fundamental, you see. Okay. It's a very interesting way to learn the Chumash. Yeah. 